Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to be out here. And great to be together. <clears throat> yeah, Bible flip over to Colossians chapter 1. We have been studying through the Gospel of Matthew. But we're going to take a break from Matthew just for one Sunday, if that's okay. And we're going to look at a topic about Jesus, of course, but in a different, obviously, in a different passage. We have been looking at uh, Matthew's chapter 7, 8, 9. And looking at really the authority of Jesus over and over again, Matthew's intent in his gospel is to show us that Jesus is the ultimate authority. If we believe that, then that changes our lives. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So we're going to fast forward to a letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, a church that he did not plant, a church he had never visited, but a church he's encouraging to remember and to recall and to deeply believe who Jesus is. And the reason why I went this way is that we are embarking upon a season in our season where we are going to be voting and electing the next or potentially keeping the same head of state, meaning the, the next president will be decided in 2020, perhaps. We'll see. Paul Underwood's going to see to it because he's USPS, man. Never a day off. Paul works in the post, the post office as a manager. Thank you, Paul. You're the man. Seriously. But we're going to be making some decisions, and as a country, you know, we've wrestled with our unity. That goes without saying. We've wrestled with uh, the decision for how we see government and how it plays out. And we need, as disciples and those who are pursuing God, we need reminders as to who's really the head of state, right. who really is in control, and who is one that, uh, despite different opinions and that's okay despite the freedoms that we've been given by our God we can really all come to the foot of the cross we can all come to Jesus as our head of state so in Colossians chapter 1 Paul reminds us of those things and it's been something on my heart as we've been going through Matthew uh, to really wrestle to believe God's authority in my life and that authority being a good one that also authority giving one that leaves peace rather than turmoil we're going to pick up here in verse 18, which I understand is right in the middle of actually a prayer, a psalm, a song that Paul just kind of, as he tends to do in some of his letters, just starts to wax poetic about God. Have you ever had a moment like that in your in your day where you're just like, you're super excited, and then all of a sudden you just kind of rattle off some things that you're grateful for, how great God is. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. Uh, the title of my lesson this morning it's really it's zeroing in on Jesus, but it's a title that uh, I might have mentioned before, but it's he's all that and a bag of chips. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I was talking to Ben Hutchins, who leads our campus ministry, him and his wife Melina down in the NRV, and uh, he was telling me getting on campus, he's meeting students who were born in the 21st century, meaning they're 18 years old, meaning they were born in 2002. I was like, my goodness, you know, we just celebrated or celebrated the remembrance of 9-11 on Friday. And I remember where I was, as many of us who, I think everyone in this, there's only a handful of you that weren't alive yet. Actually, yeah, just junior, I think. Everybody else was alive, yeah? No? 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 That would make sense what I just said, 18 years old, right? Okay. So, anyway, back it up. There's only a handful of you that. But I remember uh, sitting in my freshman uh, engineering class at, in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, when a, a fellow a fellow classmate received a phone call from her mom, who had family in the D.C. area. Mm. So she, this was about, uh, man, 9.03 or so, class started at 9, 
and she let out a, a shriek because her father worked at the Pentagon. Wow. Uh, father was okay, but alerted the professor. Uh, we didn't have uh, cell phones that could pull up video or YouTube or CNN Live. So he got the roller cart with the TV on it. Remember those? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. rolled it out yeah. and struggled to find the outlet and plugged it in. And then we got a static for about five minutes and then, you know, got it all tuned up. And uh, we were able to, we actually saw uh, the second tower get hit live. And then at that point he said, okay, everybody needs to go more. home, call your <laughs> okay. parents, call your family. And Old Dominion is right there in Norfolk. And for you, those of you who know the area, that's the largest naval base in the world. Uh, so we heard the scrambling of jets in nearby Oceana in, in Virginia Beach. They're always flying around. But then they, uh, they sent us home. And they put ODU on high alert because ODU and Norfolk could be potentially a target considering the base was so close. But I remember that. I was, I was, I was 18. I just turned 18. And I remember that, that time. And that was back in 2001, a freshman yeah, wow. in my dorm. But now we have these freshmen at uh, remembering 9-11, uh, and they were not born in the uh, 20th century. So where am I going with this? 21st century, you don't know what he's all that in a bag of chips means. Right. Um, that was, that's why I brought that story up. But that means if you got something going on, like you're the man among men, you, you, you know, you're top dog, you have a, you have the goat, uh, you're the greatest of all time. You got some skill, a special set of skills, you know, whatever that you, that, you're like, man, he's all that. And there was a movie that came out in the 90s called She's All That. Yeah. I'm dating myself for real. <laughs> Freddie Prish, for Ritz Jr. Real, man. Uh, but anyway, but if, if someone's all that, and then they're really, really, really like on top like of all the he's all that, oh. yeah. you, you say this little addendum at the end and a bag of chips. There you go. What that means is that you're just, I mean, oh my goodness, we're, we're just, you know, we're not worthy type expression. Yeah. So, yeah, you're the man. So, in 21st century, I'm going to, all the teens will be like, good Lord Almighty. Um, but if you need a, a, a translation to 21st century, it's Jesus is lit. Yeah. No cap. Yeah. Right? Okay. Is that right, Roland? No, no. Smirking. Smirking. No one's got the reverse lights on. No one's backing out. Okay. All right. We're still here. I haven't lost you. Hey, man, you didn't come for me or my jokes or my attempts to be hip. You came for the Word of God. Anyway, he's all that. We're talking about Jesus this morning. He's all that in a bag of chips. That's what Paul is teaching us here and something I believe we all can really be reminded of and let sink in deeply, more deeply into our hearts. So he's all that in a bag of chips. Let's read in uh, actually verse 15 through the end of the section there. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I have three quick points this morning. 
And the first one is he's over all. He's over all. You know, why is Jesus all that? This passage says that he's over all things. In verse 15, it says that he is the, the image of the invisible God. The word image literally means icon. He is the icon of God, the fullness of God. And we'll talk more about that later. But this sense that he is the firstborn over all creation. That's an important statement that's theologically packed. We don't have time for all of that, but the, the firstborn of all creation means that Jesus was not a created person. He was there from the beginning. Yeah. That he was there in cr the creation story that Paul harks back to as he mentions this firstborn. That back in Genesis chapter 1, when the spirits hover over the waters, and there is God speaking things into existence, Jesus was not one of those created things. He is and was there. So that is, again, mind-blowing. Because for the people here in the first century, and for many of our friends and family and our communities, there is still a question as to who Jesus is. And to what extent is he really all that he claims to be? Or all that the church claims that he is? You know, it's without a doubt that Jesus was a historical figure. No one really argues that. They all know that Jesus actually was here. Yeah. But what people argued then, only 30, 40 years after Jesus' ascension, and what they're still arguing with today, is was Jesus really God? And if he was, was he even this kind of this second state of God, meaning not completely God, but somewhat of a variation of him, meaning that he doesn't have the fullness of God in, in his being. So there's that question. But Paul just gets right to it here and says, no, 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 he's not an offshoot. He is. Yeah. And he was there from the beginning. Amen. This text goes on to say that he wasn't just the beginning of the those the firstborn, but also firstborn from among the dead. That's what does right. that mean? Is that Jesus yep. was the first person, yep. first one to experience yep. resurrection. Yep. So yeah. he's over both the created, which is all of us, and all that we're looking at and experiencing. But he's also over all of the recreated. Now, for the, the context of all this, the recreated, what is the recreated? It's us, those who have experienced repentance and baptism. We've been regenerated in Christ, and now we form the body of Christ. So here, as Paul says, and he is the body, the church, it says clearly that Jesus was there from the beginning and therefore has the supremacy, and now he has supremacy over the as a church. He is supreme and over us, the body of Christ. And that's a good thing. You know, we live out here in the country, and uh, you might have seen or know someone that has chickens. And there's a phrase in our in our, in our our community that says, uh, you know, you're running around with a chicken with your head cut off, which means you're kind of frazzled crazy. If you've ever seen that live, uh, they actually do run around. And it's uh, it's funny. And not maybe not funny, actually, depending on how you view all that. It's funny. It's entertaining. Yeah. But it doesn't last long. Right. right. There's energy, there's muscle spasms, and there's still life, but only for a time. And the chicken and us and all of creation can't live without a head. That's right. So here, as we bring in a very familiar illustration that Paul shares in many of his letters, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body, and without him, we can't live long. Right. And without him, we can't live well. So you can frail about and move about, and as a church, what does that look like? We can have lots of programs. We can be really busy. 
We could be doing this or that. We could be running around, but without Jesus guiding the body, right. there's not much life. And if there is any, it's not going to last long. Right. You know, Jesus is the head of the church. That's a great thing, and our world gets that mixed up. We elevate women. We elevate men to the head. We, we do all this. We elevate our country. We elevate people in positions, and it's not the pattern and not the position that God wants them to be in. Come on. And that gives us great encouragement yeah. that Jesus is the one over everything. Yeah. Right. Now, when we look at man and we look at my failings and we look at the failings of those who we respect, it's always encouraging to know that Jesus is still in control. Yeah. Men will fail us. Women will fail us. Leadership will fail us. Other disciples will fail us. I've failed you. I will fail you again. But Jesus never does. Amen. And that is something we've got to hold on deeply. Uh, now more than ever, as our world looks to the next answer, Amen. we've got to continue to look to who is over all of that in Jesus. The beauty of this body illustration, going a little bit deeper, saying that he has all supremacy. This body illustration is familiar in 1 Corinthians 12. But another one that shows and even highlights the intimacy of the body of Christ even more is Ephesians chapter 5. You know, if you're going to be married or one day will be married prayerfully, you're ever in marriage counseling or you're ever in a discipling uh, time with another married couple, you know there's not many passages that speak directly to marriage. But if there is one that always gets pulled out, and rightly always. so, always. Ephesians always. 5 is the one. That's right. That's it talks right. there about submitting to one another in love out of our submission for Christ. Right. It talks about respect for husbands and love for our wives. But the, the punchline of that text is, is that Jesus Christ laid his life down for his bride to yeah. wash her, to renew her, to purify her, to sanctify yeah. her. And the husbands are given the charge to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Paul goes on to say there, now I'm not talking about the, the marriage relationship. I'm talking about Jesus, the mystery of Jesus and his church. Now I've got two wonderful kids over there over there in the, in the SUV. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they are amazing and respectful. But then there's that 0.01% where they're disrespectful, right? And there's times, and I'm not throwing them under the bus or under the SUV here, but they can be disrespectful to me, and I'm like, you know what, I'll deal with that. And I'll, okay, it doesn't frazzle me too much, but we'll just deal with it. But what really gets my goat is when they disrespect my wife. And I remember as a young married, being told and encouraged when they saw that, and it wasn't necessarily disrespect, but just kind of like some questionable, uh, you know, putting themselves actions, share behaviors, where... Others would come up to me and say, hey, hey, John, you, you need to understand that what you're highlighting here is that you need to remind your children that you and your wife were first. That's right. And then they came along. That's, that's right. right. Meaning, okay. yeah, yeah, don't disrespect your mom. And, don't, and that's encouraging to say, and you should say that. But what's really true is that they need to hear, don't, from me, don't disrespect my wife. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. All husbands are So this is protective. And I think they need to know that. But you think about that, and we're all nodding our heads, and the wives are like, that's my man. Thanks for sticking up for me, honey. And the husbands are like, that's right. That's my wife. Don't mess with her. And you think about that, or even as, as parents or grandparents or guardians, you see someone messing with your kid, you're like, it's on. You know, like, oh, you got to bite your lip. You know, there's some stories. 
uh, from some of our wonderful couples here when they had younger kids, and they're sharing stories about when they hear somebody was picking on their baby boy at school, and uh, Mama Bear came. I wanted to come down there and be the principal and the security guard all at once. Uh, so anyway, Doug's calling her out. Yeah, everyone knows it was Ingrid. But anyway, and so do you. But you know who really loves us more than anyone could ever love us or any more than you could love someone else? Jesus loves his church. So what am I saying here? You get protective over your wife, and rightly so. You get protective over your husband, and rightly so. Your family, friends, those who you love, your community. God cares about his church more than you. It's not. Even, I can't compare his love to anything else. So take heart. That Jesus isn't just the head of the body up there, you know, general from the Jeep, commanding us, telling us what to do and how to do it. His love is deeply rooted in his lordship and supremacy over the church. So when the church is attacked, Jesus is attacked. When the church flourishes, Jesus flourishes. When we sin, Jesus is grieved. When we're flat stale, lukewarm, apathetic. Jesus mourns that. We're all united in all of this. You know this to be true in a story that's familiar to us in Acts chapter 9, where Saul or Paul becomes a disciple. He is there going to imprison or approve of the murders or killings of disciples. And what does Jesus say in the clouds and the bright light? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me. Me. Not why are you hunting down my bros? Why are you hunting down my kids? No, no, no. You're messing with me. So take heart. Jesus' supremacy and him being the head of the church, he is protective of his body. He is looking out for us. You mess with God's church, you're messing with God. Right? Right? You mess with my family, you mess with me. I might not be able to take you down, but I'm going to do everything I can. We have a phrase, over my dead body. That's right. right? That's, That's fine. Right. You can <laughs> grip my dead hands off you, whatever it might be. You feel passionately about that? Oh, man, Jesus is, a, is all that in a bag of chips because he is willing to do everything to protect his church. He is supreme, and we can take great courage in that. Secondly, why he's all that in a bag of chips is because he's all God. He's not just a man. He's all God. Paul says here that he that God was pleased, verse 19, pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. All of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Wow. This is an intentional phrase that Paul yeah. is praising God because there was philosophy seeping into the church in Colossae. I mentioned a little bit earlier, you may have heard and know of a, a, a a philosophy or a belief system called Gnosticism, yeah. Yeah. which was seeping into the church and still has its roots in a lot of our thought, thought processes and mindsets in the 21st century. But Gnosticism uh, believes in that flesh is inherently evil, that God himself is, is a deity, he's perfect, and that any, any, anyone that claims to be God is kind of a, 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 a hologram at best of who God is, and therefore, if it's flesh, it's evil. And what they said was, was often the teaching was, you know what, flesh is evil, what can we do about it? So we'll just sit it up, but my spirit, my spirit is regenerated, so that's good. 
So basically, I can do what I want here in the flesh because I've got no choice. It's all evil anyway. But God is God is good, and He understands my flesh is evil. It spurs on passages that we know in Romans chapter six, which you continue to sin so that grace may increase by no means. Right. right. So there's this thought process that you know what I have no choice but to sin because my flesh, it's just the way it is. And that would seep into there if Jesus was actually here in the flesh, then he can't be God because flesh is evil. Are you following? Uh -huh. So what, what Paul is saying to, to the church in Colossae and to all of us is that, no, 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 no. That, well, Gnosticism, flesh is not inherently evil. But secondly, Jesus was in the flesh, but he's all God. Yeah. There's no question about who he was and what he claimed to be. The fullness of God, meaning everything that is God was right. seen in Jesus. Yeah. You want to have a picture of who God is? Look at Jesus. Right. You know, how many of us have asked, where's God? Or, God, can you just show yourself to me? Reveal yourself to me. Why aren't you showing up here? Why aren't you there? What's going on, God? Any of us? Yeah. 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 Come on. Yeah. Paul says that Jesus was the icon, the photograph, the actual fullness, the life portrait of who Jesus is. Nothing left out, the full revelation of God, nothing more is necessary. So when we ask, why not show yourself, God? Our world's in shambles. Our community is, is, in, is in roughshaw. Why don't you show up? Where is God? Show yourself. And we wrestle with those comments and those questions. The truth is, God is telling all of us this morning, I did. Yes, he did. Yep. I did show That's up. Right. Yeah. I showed up in not just a, a slight variation of who I am, but the fullness of who I am. You know, it's tough seeing God. There are lots of people in Scripture that are like us who have asked to see God. And God said, nah, you can't. You can't see me or you'll die. Think about Moses. We wanted to see God. Yeah. And God's like, ah, you know what? Here, hide in this hide in this cave, this cleft of this rock. Yeah. And I'll let you see me pass by. And what it what it actually transliterates in Hebrew is you can see the dust of my trail. Yeah. And you saw Moses have a, a brightness to him that yeah. he would come down and people were like goodness i can't even look at you he actually had to cover his face because he was so bright why because he saw the dust cloud of god right that's that's who god is and that's what happened to moses and he's like oh man this is crazy it blinded paul and we asked god please show yourself god's like i can't but i have yeah. in jesus in a perfect unfiltered loving filter you know sepia not a sepia filter but a loving filter all the wisdom of god all his perfection in a way that we could see and understand yeah and not be blown away by that is who god is he's all god i love what jesus does throughout the gospel of matthew and what we've been reading personally the sequence in matthew chapter 8 where he comes off the mount of uh the Mount of the Beatitudes, and the first person he comes in contact we see in Matthew is the healing of the leper. Yep. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, which I'm not sure if Peter wanted that or not. <laughs> and then the authority of his word to heal the centurion's servant. 
just, you know what, say a word, go, it'll be done as your faith, according to your faith. Boom, he's healed at that very moment. Then Jesus is in the boat, a 25-foot boat in a squall, and his disciples are freaking out, and Jesus calms the storm with just a word. And as we've spoke and preached on that a few few Sundays ago, those of, of, of those who of Jewish culture knew that God was the only one that can control creation. Yeah. Yeah. So for Jesus to calm it, they're thinking, oh my goodness, who is this human? This guy is not just a regular guy. Yeah. He must be God. And people question that. Every time people claimed to say, hey, Jesus, are you God? Jesus never denies it. When the demons, who he crosses the sea, uh, sea of Galilee, and commands the demons to come out of them, they say, what do you want with us, son of God? Jesus doesn't say, hey, 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 calm down. That's not who I am. Pipe down, man. Don't, don't say that about me. He never says any of that. When he's there at the steps of Pilate, and Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He says, well, who do you say I am? And then he goes on and says, I am, and you will see me coming down on the clouds of heaven. Jesus had every chance claims that he is God. Come on. He is either nuts or he is who he says he is. Right. He cannot be a nice guy, a good teacher, someone that helps you with your morality. He's either God or he's in this same asylum. And this is a waste of time. Go watch your pre-football shows this morning. Why are we here? But he is God, and he is among us, and he made himself available. You know, two Fridays or three Fridays ago, Black Panther, the actor of Black Panther, passed oh, away. Yeah. Yeah. Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed his character. I mean, I, it was probably for me personally. It's just my take, you know, Cisco Ebert. It's my favorite, <laughs> favorite superhero movie uh, uh, to date. Amen. And the reason why, it's one of those movies where I think as disciples, you you see the character of Jesus in these superhero movies. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, and how cool would that be yeah. if Jesus like just showed up with Black Panther and like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> oh, best movie ever. But but the truth is, these superhero movies, these guys, you know, our our uh, resident Batman fan over there is Zach Rice. You know, even Batman as a human, but yet he's got these abilities, whatever. They draw to us because there's something where we see the peril that they're facing. We see the struggle that they jump into. And then we see them uh, often unselfishly lay their lives down to rescue people who can't rescue themselves. And you wonder why the whole world gets so crazy about superheroes. I believe it's 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 our hearts that have been set to see God that we love a rescue story. The women out there, for the most part, fawn at being rescued. Now, 21st century, since we're on that theme, many of you are like, I don't need no rescue. I'm done with Disney. I'm done with Disney princess. Gabby, am I right? Save yourself. I'm a warrior. Anyway, I'm being gender and moving on. Stick and move. Okay, move on. But there's something about when you see God's character kind of written into a story like that, or written into a movie, it becomes more meaningful. And we love that. When so, when a superhero or a person, doesn't even have to be a superhero, when a person in real life, a real life hero story, sees someone in peril and risks their lives to save yeah. them. 
Those are the stories we well up at. We tear up over those. We, we watch the documentaries and say, oh my gosh, what a girl, what a guy. You know, there's a, a friend of mine here in, in, in Roanoke who was at the World Trade Towers at 9-11. Who and Paul was there right across the street at the post office, right downtown, down, downtown Manhattan. And I, I spent a lot of Friday watching stories, people recounting their stories, sharing about how somebody saved their life. But there's a good friend of mine right here in Roanoke who, who worked for Morgan Stanley, uh, 2,700 employees, and six of them perished. But there was a man that worked there that he knew his whole time there who actually conducted the rescue to make sure they got out. But he lost his life going back to save more. And his story was recounted, it was on the Today Show, and he posted on his Facebook, and I watched it, and I was welling up because those are the stories that remind me of who God is for all of us. When he sees our peril, and like, like that gentleman, and like many people who have reached out to us, they insert themselves into our life story to save us. And the beauty of what Jesus has done and what God has done is that he sees our peril. He sees our helplessness. He sees that we've got no chance. We are a chicken with our head cut off. We're running around trying to make sense of what just happened and where our life is literally draining out of our bodies. And like every great superhero movie, and like every great documentary, and like what we reflected and remembered on Friday, and continue to remember, we were blown away when people insert their their themselves into our lives to save us. And that's exactly what God has done through Jesus. He's all God. He's all the fullness of who God is. But the beauty and the final point as we celebrate communion is He's all in. He's all in. He saw our peril, and he jumped in. He jumped in to save us. You know, as we study out the Gospel of Matthew, it's challenging because we're just going to read one beautiful story after another beautiful story after another beautiful story of Jesus. You're going to be amazed by him. You've been inspired by him. You're going to be more inspired by him. If you want to become a disciple, you're going to see, like, man, I want to follow him. And then just at the moment you realize, oh my goodness, this guy's incredible, he dies. He dies. And those are the most tragic of superhero stories. Where the man who rescued or the woman who rescued perishes. You're like, no, no, Infinity War. Spoiler alert. Black Panther like fades away. I was like, no, 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 not him, anyone else, no. I don't care about that other girl. I don't even know her name. But Mark Panther, no. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. Anybody on the is 35, probably. Why does he do this? Because he's all in. You know, Philippians 2, Paul would write to the church in Philippi that he came and he, he did not consider some to equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus comes into poverty. He's a homeless refugee for us. He's at the bottom of the barrel of occupations. Right. He's humbled in every single way. Why? So that he can become knowable, touchable, mm. imitatable, yeah. lovable, wow. huggable, vulnerable, yeah. and ultimately killable. Mm. Because he saw our peril. Right. And he writes himself into our story. Yep. So that when we ask, where's God? Why don't you show up? 
come in, do something. We can be reminded of passages like this this morning where Paul writes and reminds us that the fullness of God, it was his pleasure to have Jesus have all of it. And through all that, reconcile to himself all things. That's us. That that medium of reconciliation was the blood of, of the cross. The dynamic was the death of Jesus. Jesus gave up all things so that he could have us. And the cross, if not the cross, if it does not awaken your heart, nothing will. No MVP performance today on the football screen will inspire you for long, for long. No great quarterly review will get your passion for life long enough. No relationship will motivate you to be your best. Nothing will give you what Jesus leaves us here at the end of verse 20. Peace. Through his blood shed on the cross. You know, nothing, Paul tells us, Jesus being all in, dying for us, nothing lies outside the realm of Jesus' reconciling work. Yep. Nothing. We live in a beautiful place, but this passage tells us that not even, not even Roanoke, if you can believe it, not even Roanoke is in its fullness of its glory. You know, you're blown away by the mountains. We talked about that a couple Sundays ago. Like, oh, you go to the mountains and it's like, man, I'm small. You go to the West Coast, Rocky Mountains, oh boy, I'm small. You go and play and look down, man, I'm tiny. Mm -hmm. That's nothing in comparison to the fullness that God will bring it to in his reconciliation. Come on. We talk of peace. We talk of hope. We talk of change. We talk of justice. We talk of love. We talk of transformation. We talk of people turning from heartbreak to redemption. We talk about all those things and how can it be and how can it come and when will it come? Paul tells us again this morning, it's come through his son Jesus. The opportunity for all of that in its fullness has come. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're the body of Christ, you're in his body. Not only has that come, but now it dwells inside of you. And everywhere you go, you are the reminder to the world that reconciliation is possible, that peace is touchable, yeah. that change is huggable. Yeah. Following COVID-19 guidelines. <laughs> but because Jesus was all in, our hearts can be transformed and we can have what we were looking for, what we were in peril about. Our whole movie was that we lacked peace. We couldn't find it in anything. If we had it for a moment, it was just as quickly gone. Mm-hmm. Come on. But because of Jesus' sacrifice and because he dealt with our deepest issue, which is not what is happening to us, but our sin, yeah. we can now have peace. We can now have reconciliation. And we now can know a Jesus that is all that in a bag of chips. Come on, baby. Come on. Uh, there's that guy in your high school that was all that in a bag of chips, and you wish you could know him, but he was too cool for you. <laughs> that girl that was all that and she's all that and like oh man I wish you would just pay attention to me in the hallway and you get a random look and you're like oh. she looked at me <laughs> and to Cliff that was Hazel and the rest is history he's <laughs> come on, come on. smiling by that mask don't you <laughs> and we think about those people 
that may meander around our country, or you, you know, saw a Sports Center Instagram post of someone saying, he looked at me, and it was LeBron James coming out of the hallway. Yeah. Or out of the hotel, he looked at me. And that was like a thousand million likes because someone who throws a rubber ball into a, a iron cylinder looked at you. I love LeBron James, no hat, no, no cap. No cap. Yes. <laughs> well, we have Jesus. Come on. We have Jesus yeah. looking at us. We have Jesus yeah. in us. That's gotta get our going. That's gotta get our heart going. Yeah. He saw our peril and he wrote himself into our story, and he's all in for all of us. And that's what we celebrate this morning once again, as we don't have communion supplies with us because our shipment was delayed. But if you have them with you, we're going to have a time of reflection. But we encourage you to gather as households later today and to remember this. And remember that Jesus is all that. He came, he's all God, and he's all in for us and continues to be. Let's pray for our time and we'll have some announcements and we'll be dismissed. Lord, heaven, God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, you are amazing, you're immense, you're huge. We can't even comprehend you. We can't even look at you. You're too powerful. But God, thank you for writing yourself into our story, in your son Jesus, that all of your fullness dwells in him. As we read your gospel, as we read the experiences of those who walked with you, who learned from you in the flesh, God, we pray that it wells up in us a greater appreciation for who you are, a greater amazement that Paul's prayer for this same church and for many churches wasn't that they'd be free of persecution, wasn't that their lives would be perfect, but it would be that they would know you, how wide and how deep your love is for us. God, we pray again here that we can be amazed at who you are. You are all that. You're all that in a bag of chips. You are the best. And you have come to us, you've shown yourself to us, and you've died for us. God, thank you for the peace that you have left in us and the peace that you have offered the world. Help us as your church to love being directed by you, to love having you as the head of our lives. God, please help us as we celebrate communion here to delve deeper into your fullness in your son, Jesus. Help us study him, be inspired by him, imitate him, and be compelled by his life and death for us. And God, let us be fueled all the more that you continue to write yourself into our story, not just once on the cross, but every day you long to be close and connected to us. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for the peace that we have in your son. And we pray for our world that they would see you as the head, they would see you as supreme, and they would see in us a changed people because of your peace. We love you. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.